Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Horror is the perfect platform for the anthology film. Horror anthologies have been a passion of mine since spending my childhood watching The Twilight Zone, One Step Beyond, Thriller, The Outer Limits, and so many others. It's also where I got my start as a screenwriter on Steven Spielberg's less horrific, amazing stories. But you can guess who was usually involved in the scary ones. I've worked on Amazing Stories, Freddy's Nightmares, and Tales from the Crypt before creating my own Masters of Horror series and the Nightmare Cinema feature film. The anthology feature, though, is in some ways more exciting because more often than not, it is created by several cinematic voices in one package. Harking back to Dead of Night in 1947 and Spirits of the Dead in 1968, several masters of the language of cinema have banded together to showcase unique and varying styles in one package. The trend continues with the VHS movies, ABCs of Death, XX, Southbound, and countless others. With Masters of Horror and Nightmare Cinema, I wanted to showcase films and filmmakers from different cultures, bringing directors from Italy, the UK, Japan, Cuba, and elsewhere to give our audience a taste of something they might not have been exposed to before. Two of my collaborators on Nightmare Cinema, Alejandro Brugues, born in Argentina and raised in Cuba, and Salvador and Mike Mendez, are part of a brand new horror anthology film focusing on Latino culture. The new movie, Satanic Hispanics, with Gigi Saul Guerrero, Damian Rugna, and Eduardo Sanchez, also on board as writer-directors, they brought something new to the game. It's an opportunity for the rest of the world to enter the sanguinary world of Latin horror. Mike and Alejandro are here to share how this came to be and how our beloved genre is universal. Gentlemen, good to be back together with you. It's like a nightmare cinema reunion here. Producer Joe and Mike, you edited the movie. Alejandro did one of the segments. It's like a party. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to be here. I mean, you know, I, I feel like uh, we, we are a cousin of nightmare cinema. We feel like we're some like kind of lost we're sibling The Latino here. cousin. The Latino cousin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, you've done this before as a producer. You and Axel Carolyn produced... Um, Tales from Halloween. Right. And so tell me how that got together and how that and maybe working on Nightmare Cinema led to Satanic Hispanics. Well, I think like yourself, who's, you know, loves anthology films, just I really enjoy working with other filmmakers. Uh, and that is something I got through working with you and Nightmare Cinema, working with Alejandro Nightmare Cinema. Like, uh, what an honor. I mean, that was a great experience to work with Joe Dante and yourself. And, you know, that, that was awesome. And then in Tales of Halloween, we, we had a very similar thing of like, okay, we have the L.A. crew. Uh, let's kind of just make movies with our friends and do something with the L.A. community. So I just enjoy it. It it, it can go bad, I'm sure, but I, I really think it's important in choosing the, the correct filmmakers that you're going to collaborate with that I've really had a pleasant experience so far with it. I, I just love doing it. So basically the backstory is, is uh, we had made Tales of Halloween with Epic Pictures and I was just in the mood to do another one. I just like, okay, I'd like to do it, but but needed a, a as, as you mentioned, all this great, you know, history of of anthology films everything's been done you need you can't just like hey we're getting a bunch of filmmakers and just doing a thing unless you have a point of view or something to say you know between vhs between diver cinema between mortuary collection it's like it's it's very well covered stuff so i was like i don't want to do this unless there's it hasn't been done before and it's something unique and was really kind of racking my brain thinking about it. And then one day Alejandro said, when the fuck are we making Satanic Hispanics, the Latino Horror Anthology? <laughs> and it just clicked. I was like, you're right. When the fuck are we making uh, Satanic Hispanics, the Horror Anthology? So from there it was like, okay, let's do it. Who do you think we could get that would be realistic to us? And then we approached Epic Pictures and they were, you know, on board. So, and here we are. Owners of Dread. Exactly. Uh, podcast network hosts. Yeah. Yes. So Ale, you were the one who lit the match? 
I, he likes to say that. I swear, <laughs> I'm not sure. I swear that it was like a, a combined stupidity effort. <laughs> Um, Which most things we do are. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you you have seen us uh, working together. You know that when Mike and I are working and there's some like really stupid idea, it makes it into the film. Um, <laughs> it usually, usually sounds like this: like that is so stupid, we have to do it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> let's go, let's do it. I just had a dumb idea. Let's do it. <laughs> and this was uh, this was certainly one of those cases. We enjoyed uh, a lot working together in Nightmare Cinema. Uh, it was like you know nice to be hanging out and making something, and we wanted to and speaking repeat. in a language nobody else could understand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that wouldn't be Spanish. In that language would be dumb shit. Was that <laughs> <laughs> dumb shit? That's that's what we're Mike very, and I very, talk. Very fluent in dumb shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're fluent. we're very fluent, <laughs> and uh, this is going great already. <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, apparently I said, uh, why don't we make an all Latino anthology and call it Satanic Hispanics? And like, literally, we were like saying, okay, this would be great. Who could be the people that we bring? We wanted to bring uh, friends because what's the point of doing this if we're not having fun? Nobody's with friends? making money. So yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. and. Uh, and I also learned that from you, like, let's do this with friends. So immediately mm, I thought about Eduardo Sanchez because uh, well, we had met while doing From Dust Till Down. He's also Cuban. Uh, and we were on the phone and I was texting Ed and telling him we're making an anthology called Satanic Hispanics and you're in it. <laughs> and, and, and it, it worked. Was, I mean, Ed was... Okay, I mean, he was probably lying in his backyard or something. Looked at the text and he went and he replied, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, as soon as we hung up, uh, Mike uh, texted Gigi. Yeah. Uh, with the same, like a cryptic uh, text according to Gigi. Satanic Hispanics, what do you think? I, now that I don't remember, but you know... I'll, I'll that trust, sounds I'll tr very, I'll that sounds very Mike. Yeah, I'll trust her words. Uh, now, the, the, to be fair, like, the term Satanic Hispanics, uh, we used it, I, I would produce these these heavy metal videos for this wonderful makeup effects artist who did our effects called Norman Cabrera, and we happened to have a Latino DP. He was Cuban, I was Salvadorian, and so we would make these videos and we'd go, yeah, the Satanic Hispanics! So that that term would be bantied about and he just had the idea of like yes let's make that a film you know and, well it sounds like a prepackaged thing that's ready to go yeah who totally. would turn down satanic hispanics well there is the boycott satanic hispanics uh you know uh online right now there's 11 signatures we're encouraging people to sign <laughs> so yeah. somebody 11. somebody out there i don't know if i should bring that up but i think they'll get it i don't care uh somebody <laughs> out there felt uh, this movie is racist uh it makes uh, uh hispanics look like satanists and occultists and it must be made by Trumpers. Obviously, uh, I'm, I'm obviously they've seen the film. Oh, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And and uh, I mean, he only has eleven uh, signatures, signatures yeah. but that's because all the witchcraft we're doing to him is working. <laughs> like like the moment the moment we read that, I was like, Mike. Bring out the chickens. <laughs> but, but, but that was the thing. It, it hadn't been done before. It, it, it just felt like, why is that? We, we watch so many genre films and you have, you know, uh, all, all, all sorts of cultures and Latinos are like the number one audience for horror films. But it's like, how come there's hardly any that are for Latinos? And when they do, they feel very pandering. Right. You know, they they're always talk I... about tacos and things like that. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do have, I, I mean, I have several answers for that. I don't, I don't think... It's been for lack of trying. Okay. Uh, because I know people in Latin America that has been trying to do it, but in Latin America, like getting a movie made, a, a genre movie made, is so hard that I don't think they have gained the traction. And when they had, it's been in stuff like Mexico Barbaro, which 
I mean, it's all Latinos, but it's 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 Mexico, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's Mexico. The appeal is very yeah, specifically yeah. to Mexico. Yeah, it's just to Mexico. It's a really good so, film. Yeah, uh, but it's but it's that's the problem. And and our idea was uh, like the moment we thought about it was like, okay, if we're doing this, if we're going to showcase uh, Hispanic talent in, in behind and in front of the camera, we should try to go as wide as possible. Like uh, we we had a first generation American like Mike uh, we had immigrants like me like Ed like Gigi um, in her case lives in Canada Maybe, but we also yeah. wanted people that still lived in Latin America which is why we went for the Mian Runa because we all love Terrified it's a fantastic movie yeah big fans I think and, we're, we're yeah. probably the first then because we were just the cheapest uh, so. <laughs> I don't think so I don't think so I'm pretty sure I, I, I mean that's relative you know because it's not the same to be the cheapest uh, here than the uh, the cheapest in Argentina sure. because uh, it's probably the same uh, amount of money but it's harder to raise their money like that for a genre film and um, yeah I met so, him in in, uh, in Argentina he's a piece of shit Buenos right <laughs> <laughs> Everyone yeah. is lovely. They're all yeah, amazing. He's, oh, no, well, right? he's lovely. I I had to I had to bully Damian, you know. And and he's not lying. He really did bully Damian. I, I I had to be his therapist and then his bully, because at first, uh, which he excels at both those. those yeah, movies. I'm yeah. I'm I'm fantastic at that. Yeah. But like um, Dr. Bruges. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, first, I called him. Like I didn't know the man. I got his phone number, and I had just landed in Vancouver uh, to shoot uh, Mr. Joe's Russo screenplay, yes, The Inheritance. We'll talk about that. And while we were, while, while I was in quarantine, still at the airport, like the first thing I did while I was unpacking is I called the man and I said, "We're making this anthology. It's me, Eduardo, Mike, and Gigi, and we want you to be in it." And the man was like, um, "Well, I." I I would love to. I just don't know because I'm very busy. I have this movie I want to make. And I'm like, I'm not asking you. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're going to be in it. We're going to figure out the timing and all that. And and time was passing and we kept in touch. And he was always like, well, I don't know, my movie and all that. And I'm like, you can you have time to do both. And then he had these other commitments here. Mm, and he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. And I'm, I'm going to personally talk to the producers of those movies and say, give me Damien for four days. <laughs> and then he was shooting his movie and we had a deadline and he was the last one to shoot. And and we were like, How, when can you do it? And he was like, I don't think I can because I'm finishing my movie and then I want to take a month off before I dive into this. And I said to him, why the fuck do you want to take a month off? You're already shooting. Keep shooting. Yeah. You have the crew. You have everything. Uh, shoot back to back. And he was like, you know what? That's a good idea. And he, <laughs> that's how he did it. So uh, I literally had to bully him. I, I was honestly waiting at any moment for Demian to go, you know what? Fuck yourself. I don't have time to do it. I've told you 40 times I don't have time to do it. You keep pushing. I was waiting for it. I was, but, but, no, no, but he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's such a nice guy that he didn't say that to me. And, and, uh, and then, and then was, he kicked the shit out of it. That was yeah. the other thing. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like he blew us away. It was kind of like, he might have done better than us. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like him. I think I, I honestly think it's one of the best segments. Uh, no, it was seen. awesome. And, and then he only revealed recently that he wrote it like two weeks before shooting it. So, wow. yeah. So it was oh. really, he had a vague idea that we could play with so we could do the wraparound and stuff like that. And and then he would like to change the tie the the character's name and we were like no 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 we shot it as Gustavo we introduced a guy named Gustavo you have to make it a Gustavo uh, and uh, yeah and he came through he just did an awesome job he's such a talented guy and then that other movie he finished just got into Toronto so it'll be showing here in uh, at Beyond Fest well the festival experience is a really important thing I mean you you your first movie Killers. Was it Sundance? Yeah. And you were what, 23, 24? 23, yeah. yeah, yeah. 20... Something that I don't think would ever happen uh, today. You know, it's like I, I we made this small film for $100,000, uh, shot it on 35 millimeter, uh, and submitted a VHS tape in the mail with just a wing and a prayer. Just like, you know, like, hey, wouldn't it be neat if we got into that? And, and I did, yeah. Was, I don't think that would ever happen now. And well, because the now they would know who you are. <laughs> it would be an immediate rejection. Right? Yeah, it's, it's like man, they have to stake once. <laughs> they have they have their blacklist. Yeah, it exactly. consists of one name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very short yeah, list. Very short list. <laughs> now, Alejandro, you went to film school in Cuba. 
So Indeed. tell me about that experience, because what, what age were you and what brought you there? Well, I lived in Cuba. It's not like I had a choice. <laughs> no, but to, to choose to, to film, film school, school, I always wanted to be a writer since ever since like the moment when I was a kid and I learned how to write. I started writing stories, and uh, I at first I didn't want to be a. I didn't. I was. I wasn't thinking about being a screenwriter. I wa I just wanted to be a writer, and then somehow I landed on screenwriting. And then somehow I ended up going to film school to study screenwriting. And well, it was great support for the arts in Cuba. Uh, back then, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back then, the film school was great. Uh, things are not good now. Like, it's not right. even the film school, like anything. But uh, What kind of equipment did you have at the, the film school? Oh, we used to shot the shorts with these um, coconuts that we got from trees. <laughs> So did you shoot in 16 millimeter, motherfucker? All right, good, good. All they, right. You had to make a 16 millimeter short, and then you had to make your 10 minute thesis in 35 millimeters. And then the, and, the and, then, and yeah. then you edited with some coconuts and some rocks. And cellophane tape. It actually, it actually had like a, a very good video library. I'm pretty sure you were blacklisted I'm there sure too. Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, you mean they didn't have big ass spiders? Yeah, exactly. Well, it was before that, yeah. Yeah. but but Kiros probably was there, and uh, uh, like we had like good teachers. We I remember um, I actually I actually saw Blair Witch Project while I was at film school, and oh, I remember cool. I remember I they back then they didn't have internet at the film school, uh, but I had back home like super slow, but I I read everything about it being like fake but it was like right when it was coming out and some people were still thinking it was true right. and i remember coming to school uh, the next day and everyone was uh, still saying that really happened um so that was my intro to ed sanchez serial but um <laughs> but no i mean film, Full film school was yeah. was uh, it was a good experience but it was essentially about writing i didn't learn how to shoot i learned how to shoot making movies yeah, i, I learn still haven't learned how to shoot <laughs> <laughs> learn by doing well juan of the dead was my first awareness of you and maybe most of the world's first awareness of you because I saw it at two film festivals and it blew everybody away. Uh, and it was a huge festival hit and a hit around the world. Box office, maybe not so much in the U.S. as in other countries, but it did well here. It was a small so, release, a very small release. Yeah, it was a small release, but it was a very unique movie. And it, it also has a great um, association with social commentary. You know, there's a lot of politics and social commentary mm. in this very wonderfully silly movie that takes its zombies seriously. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I mean back then no one in Cuba did horror, and going back to film school, like I, I was the kind of student like all, all all other students were watching Bergman and, and and Tarkovsky, and I was watching the the movies that I grew up loving, the movies that made me want to be a filmmaker. John so Carpenter. And Toby I was Hooper. watching Carpenter. I was watching Jaws, but I was also watching uh, stuff like uh, Polanski's um, The Fearless Vampire killers yeah. i saw that as a kid and back then it freaked me out and then i was like no this is a comedy i saw <laughs> zombie 2 i movies movies that i had seen as a kid and i only remember chunks like i remember this i had this image of of a splinter going into a woman's eye yeah. what movie is that and someone said zombie 2 so like but well, it, it was, was like, called zombie 2 in I other know. countries not this one because dawn of the dead was called zombie yeah Romero's and so the produ the producers the distributors distributed zombie as zombie 2 as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. So wait here it was called zombie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay then I watched zombie so it was movies that I had seen as a kid and didn't even know the titles but there were the movies that marked me and, and obviously I also had to watch the Berman and Tarkovsky's but like I, I that my my day to day was like watching genre and horror movies 
and, and no one had done a horror movie in Cuba really um, but I've always been interested in social commentary I think as artists uh, it's not that we have to but we sort of have to think about it uh, it's our duty to try to say something and perfect and the perfect uh, blend uh, of genres to say something was uh, horror and comedy and Mike what do you think reflects the Latino um, take on horror? Is it fed a lot by the Catholic Church and the sanguinary aspects of it? I mean, we are very superstitious people. I mean, that that is for sure. Certainly the, the, the Catholicism of, of it all, but but certainly the Santeria, the different the, the cult, you know, and, and you know, I, I think there's it's always... It's ceremonies. Yeah, absolutely. There's just always been certain mysticism and certain gods and certain, you know, I mean, going back to the Aztecs. So I, I don't know why, and, and I, I really think there's a, a, quite a bit of great Latino filmmakers. We've always been kind of attracted to the dark and to the, the fantastic, whether it be Guillermo del Toro or Alfonso Cuaron, you know, uh, and so I, I don't know if it's inherent in us, but I think we're just a bunch of superstitious people somehow, mm -hmm. or at least our culture certainly no, is. But I do think, I think, I think it's what Mike is saying. Uh, I think it's a continent that has a history of violence in many ways. I mean, the Aztecs they had the human sacrifices, yeah, the but also you also you you all you have in all this uh, you have all these millennium uh, cultures like uh, you also have like in Bolivia and Peru all the, those places you have the Aymaras the Quechuas you have in Mexico like those people built pyramids they have massive cities and they also have their their religions and then and then we were wiped by the spanish like so that's uh, that's part of the violence that is that runs in our blood we were literally wiped by the spanish and then uh, they brought slaves from africa who also brought their religions and they and they started to mix uh, with the catholic uh, costumes uh, and that's how you have all the afro-cuban religions you have the macumba in brazil you have the voodoo uh, those are all all mixes and and the violent history of latin america continues in a way more political way um, but uh, all the 20th century has had a lot of that due to American policies mostly <laughs> yeah well having grown up in a country that was involved uh, affected greatly by American politics but it's a communist country without sanctioned religion so it's an interesting situation to grow up in how how did that affect your well, it 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 does, and now it has. Now it has. They eased things up with the religions uh, in the 90s when the Pope John Paul II came to Cuba. So after 1996, we had Christmas. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. Before that, no one talked about Christmas. It's like it didn't exist. And after that, suddenly it's Christmas. Um, but but the. But the Afro-Cuban religions have always been there and have always been like a very strong part of the Cuban day-to-day -day life. And it's not like, it's not uncommon at all. Like people going to these uh, Santeria ceremonies or uh, even darker stuff. I, I mean, it's a stuff that it's in your life. I'm, I'm half joking when I say to Mike, uh, bring out the chickens. But I have, <laughs> I, yeah, it's the first job I ever did uh, related to film back in the 90s was camera assistant in a documentary in a Spanish documentary about um, these religions and I saw some animal sacrifices there well I remember being in Mexico City and going to a marketplace that was selling animals for sacrifices and yeah. all of the devices and all of the implements that are used in these traditional um, ceremonies and rituals and it was fascinating to me and seemed entirely latin yeah totally oh i'm so and, and like i grew up in, in bolivia because uh, my parents they were diplomats and they were there and my mom's bolivian so mm, they were uh, diplomats there from the since the 80s to the almost uh, early 90s and um, and you could buy in the street like stuff to make uh, all the witchcraft that you needed like for instance i'm not making this up uh, when you're building a house or a building or something they bury llama fetuses 
<laughs> there oh. and suddenly you go uh, you're buying stuff on the street that you see like a bunch of like a uh, what do you call like a kiosk Okay, or right, something yeah. with a bunch of llama fetus wow, there. Well, those there. things. Yeah, I'm gonna get you one. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever go back to visit family, I'm gonna get you a bunch. Yeah, give me all fetus. <laughs> Bring yeah, one absolutely, home. Yeah, totally. just to make your house secure. <laughs> yeah. But, well, but yeah. I was gonna say, like, like horror and genre stuff has just always been part of Latin cinema. Like, you know, whether it be the Santo films, whether it be El Vampiro, yeah. it's just Night of the Bloody Apes. It was just uh, Latin cinema has just always been attracted to the. Mexico the... has a great history of uh, horror cinema. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of what we wanted to tap into is kind of like well that's kind of the origins of kind of latin filmmaking like we should kind of play with that and have fun with yeah it. well gigi's really goes in for cultural in very much investigation so. very much into a jungle latin culture yeah she, so. she does a, a piece called nawalis which is about the the mexican shapeshifter which is sort of like um you know the mexican werewolf the idea was that everyone picked a, a monster or a creature from their latin america neck of the woods didn't, everyone didn't exactly yeah, like for that. instance, like for instance, we have the Temerary Argentinian Rubik's Cube. Yeah, which is <laughs> long, long lore. Of, yeah, it's exactly. Some people didn't stick completely the assignment and you know said like, well, you know, portals and ghosty shit. That's that's uh, <laughs> close that's enough. close enough. Yeah, we'll put a but Rubik's it, cube but, it, but it speaks to our traumas. Like the Mian has never been able to put together a cubic screw. <laughs> <laughs> Rubik's cube. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Gigi really, really went for it. I think that's one of the things that I really admire about her short is that there's an authenticity that i couldn't do hers you know it's just there's something that feels like this is a mexican filmmaker talking about her culture and even i could try but it's just an approximation there's something that felt very genuine about hers yeah. which i think well, is really because cool. she because she went to the actual uh, small town uh, or, or or state or whatever where they do that kind of yeah. stuff. The birthplace and of they, Mexican they, mysticism, they I They even think. did, yeah, they even did like a ceremony, a ritual ceremony to bless uh, they should and yeah, yeah they, were, they would she would talk about how that they had these these shamans to, to kind of protect yeah. them and uh, because there was these forest sprites that would apparently uh break lights uh equipment would go missing and then be found somewhere else yeah. they'd hear voices uh I, I seem to remember she would tell the story obviously i i I'm, you know i'm just just remembering what she said but there was something that like some of the crew saw like the dp in a different room and they yelled at him and he went in and then the dp entered through the the other door behind them going what are you guys talking about yeah. we just saw you you know no, yeah so there's a, a bunch of stuff like that and they said that they had to leave candy around for all the you know for all the the forest sprites Good and that sense. this is yeah. yeah and that this is a, a thing by the know? way that's uh, sometimes instead of chickens you use candy right. it depends on what you have <laughs> yeah, you know yeah sometimes skittles <laughs> is, is the right no 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 i'm mean, like for real yeah no, I believe no, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like totally usually, it. but but yeah, they had they had some weird uh, things uh, happening there. Yeah, and, well, and I think that 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 you can feel that in the authenticity of her story. When we were in Japan shooting uh, Miike's episode of Masters of Horror, we started the shoot on the rooftop of the studio, uh, doing a Shinto ceremony to protect the production wow and it was really fascinating was that the first time that in. that's ever happened that you've been like in a, in a like a yeah. prayer situation like that because yeah i've never done that I've, yeah. i know a few filmmakers that have that that are torn like, well i'm gonna bring it. you to cuba okay yeah. <laughs> goat so, sacrifices right before uh <laughs> before for pictures up. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so ale what's your story uh, mine is the hammer of zanzibar it's a, <laughs> it's a, yeah again uh, based on Cuban legends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see. Uh, let's see how I can uh, tell this without spoiling. Yeah, no It's spoilers. actually uh, so. Um, it's I actually started telling you something before that was I think the very first uh, um, spark to this idea and. I mentioned that I, I was like a camera assistant to these uh, ceremonies for this Spanish documentary. And I remember while and I saw like really dark stuff um, and like really like they had this huge altar and they were doing like this. They, they sacrificed the chicken and then they brought a goat and they rubbed the goat's head to the men's crotches and the women's breasts. And then they cut the goat's head <laughs> and spilled the blood in an altar and then they pour a uh, rum on the severed neck of the goat and started drinking from 
from that. I'm passing it around. And I didn't. I was like, I, I told the producer, if they start passing that to us, I'm bailing. <laughs> and so and it I was like really, it was like really, really, really intense uh, stuff. And there was... Um, there was this old woman there and she looked at me and as she said, are you part of this religion? And I was like, no. And then she said, then you cannot see this. And the rest of the night I was like carrying cables and looking the other way. Wow. Because I'm like fucking superstitious. <laughs> I don't know what can happen. And I didn't want to see. And there was also a moment where they requested that the filmmakers don't record something because it was secret. You have to think all these all these uh, religions, they don't have like a written Bible. It's just mostly stuff that uh, has been passed generation to generation. And they have their secrets. And and the, the director told the DP to keep recording hidden and I was thinking what if you're not supposed to be recording what if something bad happens if you record something that you're not supposed to see and then because of that it gets out and that has been in my head for years like this was in 98 probably I think and and since then I've always wanted to do something with that and eventually I came to this idea I wanted to make a movie a, a feature film it, it it's not different from my approach to our nightmare cinema story where i like crammed a whole a, a whole feature film in 20 minutes yeah you start in the middle <laughs> yeah right. exactly so uh, what i wanted to do uh, was something uh, i was coming uh, out of like a very hard working experience uh, and a uh, and I wanted to do something where I felt I could be like my dumb, unleashed me again. And um, and I had this idea for a feature and I wanted to let my influences uh, run wild. And I, uh, one of my biggest influences has always been Tarantino and another one Sam Raimi. So I wanted that to be very clear. I wanted to tell a story in different chapters. And uh, and I wanted to do something that felt like uh, you felt when you watch Evil Dead 2 for the first time, like those deadites that just are just insane. And then um, I I one of the chapters was the Hammer of Zanzibar, and it was this super dumb idea. <laughs> based on a real demon called the Popobawa that really exists. You can look it up. It has a Wikipedia page and it's a demon from Zanzibar and it's so stupid. Like when I read that years ago, like re researching for demons, I was like, what the hell? Why hasn't anyone done anything with this demon? And, you know, it was lying there. So I said so to my... So it was your duty. <laughs> yeah, it's like something... Some Did you leave something that stupid around me? I'm going to use it. And, and I said to Mike... I have this idea. I need you to talk me out of it. And Mike heard the idea and he was like, hell no, you have to do no, that. No, do it. <laughs> and then, and then he I wanted you to look stupid. I know. Yeah. And, but then I talked to the other directors and they were the same. They were like, no, you have to do that. It's super fun. And I was like, oh, motherfuckers, you want to see me burn. No, no, oh, no what, it's great. What, what, it, what it was was, you know, I think originally one of us had to do the wraparound. We, you know, we created one of us had to do take that duty and he was thinking about it. But, but the idea of Hammer Zanzibar was kind of haunting him. And he's like, I, I'm going to get canceled if I make this. I, I, I shouldn't do it. You got to talk me out of it. And A, I didn't think it was that offensive that, it, that he was going to get canceled about it. So I, I was like, look, I, th I think it's going to be fine. I think people will have a sense of humor and have a good time with it. But, you know, the important thing is that when you're doing a small independent anthology, this is the time to do the shit that no one else will do. This right. is the time that, like, no studio will ever make this. No, you know, no TV show will ever let me do no this. No rules. No rules. So that's the thing. We certainly don't have money, but what we do have is creative freedom. And we have the, you know, if there's ever a time to do the, the that risky one, like, I don't know how this is going to work. It's like, this is it. Because there's not a lot of pressure. It's a low-budget movie. It's fun. It's for the genre audience. And, and you know, I, I just felt like, let's, let's go for it if we're going to do it. So I just I absolutely wanted to encourage him to do it and, and by the way the feature version i remember I, I i once pitched it to sam actually to sam raimi uh, because i wanted I, I i wanted to do something that felt like the the caribbean cousin of his kandarian demon 
and I wanted to call it like uh, Mala Muerte, which was the the Spanish title of Evil Dead. Evil Dead. When the I Bad Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like uh, I had this chance. I knew that was never gonna happen because they were making like r real Evil Dead movies, and uh, and I did my 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 condensed twenty minute version. Well, it's great because I mean that's what you did on Nightmare Cinema yeah. with Thing in the Woods and that whole experience was so great because everybody was able to do what they wanted to do. It was also a very low budget movie that there weren't overlords overseeing everything and testing everything with audiences and and doing all of the shit you have to go through when there's more money at stake. There's a joy in this and that's a hundred percent reason we got the filmmakers uh, that we got but both in Tales of Halloween and this was just like look there is no money in this but you know we as filmmakers often get so frustrated from studio notes from producers from hey I know it's you're directing but you kind of have to do this or you kind of have to put this into it and and you know it changes our stuff and I think all of us had been through an experience where it's just like Remember when we were kids and we just made movies for the love of making film because we wanted to make the films that we love? Like, let's go back to that. And, and you know, for better or worse, the only way you can do it is like, look, here, here's here's a very small budget, but you have complete autonomy. You can right. do whatever you want as long as it fits in the parameters of, you know, what we're doing here, you know, so. Yeah, somehow we did that with Showtime and Nightmare and uh, Masters of Horror and got all the great people, but it, it wasn't as low budget as right. the independent yeah, movies we're talking about. But it was still not a CBS NBC budget. No, know? that's great. But yeah. I was able the the selling point was yeah you can have these filmmakers, but you can't tell them what to do. Right. Now let me ask you: Do you think you could do that now? I, I would love to. We're trying. Clive Barker and I have an anthology. But together the same that, the yeah. same rules were with no interference. You think? Uh, you think? The that streamers kind of seem to have gotten much more intrusive mm, in yeah. the process. Um, you would know best about that. In fact, producer Joe wrote a script uh, with his partner Chris Lamont, and and you directed it, and we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we haven't. And I don't know. I don't know when we will. Uh, producer Joe probably has better answers. I don't think. No, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. This was for Netflix. It was for Netflix, uh, but it's not gonna be coming out on Netflix. Maybe I don't think. I don't know. Uh, we're uh, they are allowing us to shop it around and and uh, hopefully find uh, a good home for it. But like honestly, like I don't know. The industry is in such a weird moment right now that I wouldn't be surprised if they have to put it in tomorrow. Um, yeah. So, well, that's the hard thing about anything. I've been asking the question of like. Like, you know, can you do that today? Like, who knows what we can do right now? The industry is in such a turmoil. Like, we know that none of these streaming services are sustainable. This business model isn't sustainable. You know, everyone's on strike. It's just like... Yeah, they're I, losing I, billions of dollars um, and putting out movies, original movies, on the streamers, like Disney Plus did with Hocus Pocus 2. What um, uh, Peacock is doing with their Blumhouse releases and things like that. You know, Halloween right. ends, uh, that sort of thing. So they don't, they're completely at sea with what they're doing. Um, there is no guarantee to a box office success. No, absolutely. Like there used to be, even yeah. with franchises. Even the Marvel movies are doing less and less and less. Every movie that's been released this year by Disney has tanked. Absolutely. And, and no one was expecting Barbie to be the biggest movie of the year, which I, I think is awesome. And I think yeah, it's me great. too. It's a pretty so wonderful cool. movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, but, you know, it, just, it really, it, it was that... Mission Impossible didn't do well. Indiana Jones didn't do well. And, oh, the movie business is done. And then Barbie has the fourth biggest opening of all time. You know? One of the best times I have had in theaters in years has been the Barbenheimer experience. Yeah. Right. Um, but these are two original movies that are not... Yes, it's one's based on a doll, but uh, a toy. But these are original movies that aren't part of a franchise, that aren't something that is a comic book or something before. 
and they're killing and they're really well-made well-told stories i think if anything it just to me it showed that audiences want fresh stuff they want new yeah. stuff they want interesting things we've we're done with the uh you know superhero thing and the studios I, I'm, I'm don't a little know sad. that oh, so, i'm um, a little sad that you're they, gonna they, get they in made, trouble for them that, that they made 140 superhero movies and then finally they gave a latino one at the at the tail end yeah. uh, of the whole thing <laughs> blue but we're beetle, happy they did yeah. you know blue beetle was great and i'm very yeah. happy that, that they that they did but but uh, yeah it's kind of at the tail end is all this stuff I'm very, out. I'm very happy that that it exists, and uh, and this is something that we have been talking a lot about later, uh, lately. It's uh, there's a great output of Latino stuff uh, right now. Like you have Blue Beetle, uh, you have our movie on the you know small horror corner. Uh, you have stuff uh, like uh, Flaming uh, Hot on Hulu or Disney or both. Um, so there's there's some Latinos doing stuff. And the we problem need, we just need people to come and see it. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> the problem. It's like we have to we have to get out there and go see and support uh, the stuff that we're making. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on a project with George Lopez myself. Oh, and, cool! And oh, it was great, great, Blue Beetle. Yeah, yeah. It was so and much fun. He's such a, a, a an amazingly talented guy. And oh, a sweet that's cool! Guy, really great. But um, anyway, what's your story, Mike? My my story, I, I because he did the Hammer of Zanzibar. Then that kind of left the the wraparound on me, which was. A little daunting, you know. No, back then, no, no, no. You're saying it wrong. I have so much better memory. That's why I know I wasn't the one that came up with this idea. Uh, I could tell the story, but I'm please tell me. No, 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 no. Like because at that point, you were also thinking about doing a short before I had the hammer. Absolutely, but that, but that's the thing. You said I want to do, I want to do the hammer, and and therefore it was like, okay, well then I have to do the the wraparound. That, that that's kind of how. I, I swear to God, that's what happened. I swear to I God. No, because we uh, settled, we settled on the on the wraparound you can see when the, you brought the production up. was very smooth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> when, absolutely, cinema. absolutely no arguments. When you uh, when you when you talk, okay, start talking about the story, and I'm gonna tell you exactly the moment where I said that's the wraparound. Okay, uh, so I had had an idea uh, a long time ago, because sometimes, you know, ideas come very strange. You know, sometimes it's a story and sometimes it's a character. And I always liked this idea of a character that was immortal, that had all the answers to everything, could play every instrument, knew all knowledge because he had been around eternally, but his immortality had a very high price, which is that death always followed him. And I won't say exactly what happens in my short, I'll leave it no. at that, uh, but that was kind of just an interesting idea. And I always thought that would be like a supporting character in like a larger fantasy film or something like that. And then when we started talking about, um, you know, the hammer and then how we want to link Latin America and all the stories and all this mythology, I was like, you know, this character actually would work for this because he has been around, he has traveled the world, so how can we take this character and then make him kind of our crypt keeper? And as you know, the wraparounds are a very important thing to an anthology. It, yeah, it, I it, did the wraparound on Nightmare uh, Cinema as well as doing Dead. So. 100%. And so I, I feel that in a lot of in a lot of anthology films, it kind of gets neglected. And, I, and to me, it's one of the most important things. It's what leads us in the film, it what guides us through the film, and it's what we end with. So I felt instead of doing the the you know kind of thing where you know a crypt keeper tells a story to someone and then there's a big reveal at the end ha 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 you know or whatever uh i i felt like what if the wraparound was a story itself and what if we kind of traveled with this character and uh you know and and followed him all the way through so that would carry us through the entire film so uh that that's how it came about and, and, and ali how do you i do have a different it? version but it ends the same as, <laughs> as far as i can recall we started talking about like how the movie starts and all that and then one day mike mentioned this character that he had and i said mike that's it that's uh, that's the wraparound um but by then he still was thinking about doing a short or something and i remember i told him if you do the wraparound make that a short because you're a make that a story because you're not doing the wraparound and a short because there's not like a lot of Latino filmmakers we have to showcase as much as you can and you're not taking two fucking spots you right. fucking man <laughs> that, that, that could very well be I don't remember that but that could very well be but, cer yeah. but certainly at some point it was kind of decided that, that yes, this feels like something would... I would say to him <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yes, if he's yelling at me, so I'm like, God damn, don't be so fucking greedy, man. Does that, that does sound like him? Yes. <laughs> well, the, the world of independent film and filmmaking seems to 
never have been so complex as it is now, so difficult to get something off the ground, despite the fact there are so many more platforms. But tell me about how you went around um, pitching and selling this and ending up at Epic. Honestly, I just have a very good relationship with Epic, and they've just always been very supportive. You know, it started with Big Ass Spider, then Tales of Halloween. If anything, I've always, like, wanted to make more films with them. There's there's a caveat. This is not a payday, you know? Right, this is certainly right. what you get is the luxury of getting to make a film, and your film, and and having a bit of autonomy to, to make the film you want to make. They, they've, they've always been very kind to me and left me alone because we've had a good experience. It's, it's like Big Ass Spider went well, Tales of Halloween went well, so I think they feel, why should we get in the way, you know? And so with this, they... they, they saw the passion they felt like yeah that is an angle that that hasn't been explored so they were on board and just very supportive and part of the part so of the... they were the first people you took it to? absolutely it yeah. was literally mike said we want to make an anthology called satanic hispanic and it was okay yeah no it was, it <laughs> That's was true version. quick yeah no it was why real. don't i meet people like that <laughs> <laughs> but again it, it really comes down to that that we i think I don't know if we ever said it. I think we originally were like, we could probably do them for like $10,000 each. We didn't. Don't tell uh, them that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, don't ever tell anybody that. Yeah, uh, but it was always, the, always the, the, the idea that the filmmaker would just kind of go off and make their own thing. We wouldn't be on set. You literally, we just have to kind of sign off on the idea and then you deliver us a finished product and then that would be it. And that way, that way... You know, like even when we were making Tales of Halloween in town, you just felt kind of guilty being on a, another director's set, kind of going, dude, we got to make the day, you know, you know, yeah. and I'm like, mm. he's my friend. I, I, I like him and I respect him as a filmmaker. I shouldn't be here. Like you, you yeah. find your own producer. You guys just give me a short. Okay. Well, <laughs> both of these movies, uh, Tales of Halloween and Satanic Hispanics is that sort of thing where make your movie, make your, your short and we'll put it in our movie together. Right. Whereas Nightmare Cinema was a continuous production. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yes. It yeah. was more like Masters of Horror doing one story, you end on Friday, and Monday the next story starts again with the same crew continuing. Absolutely. Other than the David Slade one where we had to take a break. For we, we did ours together, but but pretty much everyone else, you know, uh, Demian's well, was we shot in Argentina. We were in town. Yeah, exactly. We did ours because we were in L.A., but uh, Demian is in Argentina, so he did his there. Uh, Gigi, who lives in Canada, flew to Mexico. That was actually something we encouraged her, was like, because she had a problem. There was a, a huge snowstorm in Canada. And it's something like, she's not used to. Yeah, she's like, I don't know how to make this look like mexico and i've used every mexican in canada at this point you know i was like i can't i can't keep making canada mexico and so i was like well, why don't we you know i mean it'll go a little more it'd be a little more expensive largely because we've got to provide security and things like that but like why don't you go to mexico and she loved the idea and, and uh you know, provide security yeah we absolutely did did oh absolutely we're that responsible? Yes, that was the thing. It's like we're not sending, you know, we're not sending her out there on by herself, you know. So well, but she's, she's Mexican. She had armed security that we, really? that we provided for her. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, so. Good for us. Look yeah. at us. Thank you for our people. It's a very, you know, sketchy part of the world there. So, so the only movie, well, yeah, that, but the only movie that had ever been shot there was, was Apocalypto. So I think uh, Apocalypto no, and Satanic Panic's only films yeah. ever shot in. Dude, uh, it's Gigi. It's, it's Gigi. She can. She can take, take care, care of it. No, oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't want to mess with like, you yeah, either. I, mean, I, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the guy that tries to mess with her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, that was it was and that was an exciting opportunity for her to kind of go back to her homeland. She'd never made a movie in Mexico, and it, it worked out great because again, it adds to that authenticity. And then uh, and then Ed Sanchez is in uh, the the Latino capital of the world, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we didn't send there. security for him. No, we did not. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Send weed. <laughs> yeah. So, Ale, you've worked in television and independent film and internationally, worked in Cuba and, and the like. So tell me your experience on, on, um, uh, on doing American TV. Uh, I mean, everything's the same, Mick. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're making an indie film uh, here in Cuba or TV when the clouds are coming and you have to run because uh, you're going to lose the shot, you have to do it. But From and, Dusk Till Dawn is a series of continuing characters well, and situations. Yeah, and absolutely. Is, is there a style book that mm, you have to follow? Or I mean, you, it, it has that Robert, uh, Robert Rodriguez vibe. Right. So like uh, every time I, I could come up with a shot that felt like Robert, I would go for it. And by the way, 
I I stole one of my own shots from there to for this uh, for the satanic Hispanics uh, story, um, but you really had a lot of freedom. Uh, I I recently had to rewatch the episodes, uh, and and doing Dusk was a fantastic experience. We had a lot of freedom. Uh, I mean, it's it's TV, so you have a lot of freedom as a director. It's not like you're going to be changing lines or something, but you know. And just no time or money. Yeah. <laughs> well, like... um, no, but I learned I learned to shoot to start shooting fast there. I also learned like I love the speed of TV where you're not wasting time. You don't see anyone sitting, not doing anything. You're constantly moving. Uh, you have to be respectful, but you know it's it's from dust till down. I I went to take a picture in front of the titty twister and wear the cock gun <laughs> um, I got to direct uh, uh, Tom Savini yeah. um, that I remember that was um, that was uh, one of the few script uh, changes that we did in his episode and uh, and and also I made a joke in his episode where one character shows a fake ID and I had and I had the name be Eduardo Sanchez and every time I I see the name I hear Tom Savini's voice saying Eduardo Sanchez <laughs> um, but uh, it was fantastic I had my cowboy hat it was truly one of the best experiences I've had well what's interesting about it was that it was Robert Rodriguez's own television network oh, El Rey yeah. I mean he basically ran the and network. his crew it, it's his it's it's the crew that has worked for him probably since from dust till down the movie a and lot his of people. own studio yeah and yeah. but it, it felt like a family like people that were so used to working together and working with robert uh, that like if you came up with a crazy set piece they have seen way crazier stuff and they were ready for it like it was unbelievable like that was a really well-oiled machine like if you had to throw someone through a window i would be shooting this uh, angle and then when i turned they had already changed the window and played the explosive and everything because they are used to robert like saying why don't we do this yeah. So it was fantastic. It's truly really one of the best experiences. Robert, I think, is a big influence on this movie, too. I, I think all of us are kind of influenced by his stuff, or at least wanted to kind of get that kind of Latino action, fiery, oh, yeah. you know, and kind, do kind it of yourself. vibe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so. I have I have, uh, I have, Robert DNA in mind, for sure. Robert is also one of Gigi's biggest uh, influences. So, yeah, he's absolutely there. Yeah, absolutely, from Dustal Dawn, Desperado. And, you know, and, and, and other, uh, other Latinos that we admire, too like as Mike was saying we we had Norman Carrera doing the the Michael monsters Pikes, yeah. uh, and uh, and he has done great monsters for oh, Guillermo del Toro yeah yeah uh, so yeah there's a there was a lot of respect and, and showing our influences well who were the people who inspired you to become a filmmaker in the first place um, Sam Raimi. Uh, yeah. I, I, when I saw Evil Dead, that changed my life. I was eight years old. <laughs> wow. Don't do that. And <laughs> uh, and Mala Muerte. And I remember it was uh, one uncle of mine that brought it home. He usually brought movies, not necessarily that kind of movies. Sometimes he would bring stuff like uh, like Bruce Lee movies. Sometimes he would bring stuff like Deep Throat. I don't think I got to watch that <laughs> Not one. back yeah. then. Yeah, right. Well, hey, wait. Now that I throat. think, of, <laughs> now that I think about it, Tio Pablo was yeah. really yeah. Not. popcorn on his lap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Cuba. We didn't have por popcorn. He did have a chicken on his lap. <laughs> Uh, but they, but he brought Evil Dead, and that movie changed my life. And you know, we were talking about doing TV. Later, I got to uh, meet Sam and work for him, pretty much like I did for Robert, um, uh, doing his uh, TV show, Fifty States of Fright. Right, yeah. right. I, I've had a good run of working with people I admire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, who were the ones who were your big influences? Well, th that's the thing, and there's a reason we click. It would be Sam Raimi, and Evil Dead yeah. 2 was the reason I wanted to make movies, and I kind of realized we had this bond when I was working on Nightmare Cinema, and, you know, I'm getting the, the dailies, and it's a woman running from a killer in the woods, and I'm like... 
do you see my Tales of Halloween? Because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a woman running from a killer of the woods. He had much more time, much more money. It's it's a it's a much more clever uh, structure that, than what I did. But but right off the bat, I was like, well, that's weird. Uh, and, and so, and by the way, he also had an uncle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not the movie, just how to. No, never mind. Just anyway. the chicken. Yeah. Just the chicken. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, but but no, but but Evil Dead Two was my film school. That, that's what I watched in high school. That's what like because th- there was something because he was kind of the ultimate do-it-yourself independent filmmaker with Evil Dead. There was something that you could watch and you could learn from it. You go, how did they do that? And and there was no internet then. You'd have to find magazines or books so you'd learn mm. about the shaky cam. You know, it's like right. it's like oh, it's a two by four. They do that. And how they do the shot where they ran through the 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 but, car and through the window. And it's like well, they had like a battering ram. And so you would do all these research and stuff like that, and you'd figure it out. And then you know, thankfully, when I was starting out, I mean, I did a little of Super Eight stuff, but you know, we had like high eight cameras, so they're they're small and compact, so we could kind of do these kind of things with the cameras and and put them in in odd places above and over you know um ceiling beams like sam did and so it really kind of be i mean we were all the, that eyeball shot right the the famous like you know attach the eyeball yeah. to the camera everything when we when i was in high school was like how could we you know make this arm fly in the air and do the Raimi <laughs> shot you know i mean it was a shorthand for me and all my friends uh was the Raimi shot uh shaky cam uh a fake shemp uh all of these things and so again i, I think Raimi and, and you know i'm sure i'm not the only one to say this or alejandro's not the only said i think he influenced generations of, oh, of, of indie filmmakers I, you know? I i i mean i didn't have those i i i in Cuba in the 80s or 90s like I wasn't even dreaming about being a filmmaker all the stuff that Mike's saying like I didn't have Super 8 I didn't have any of that you I was just though. yeah I had yeah. coconuts no 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 I was like Mike Mike was, figuring, Mike was figuring out how to put a, an eyeball in a camera and I was listening uh, to my uncle tell how you steal a chicken by putting a finger out its ass yeah. <laughs> Well, on Nightmare Cinema, you were using drones and things. I, and, and, uh, and, and the, uh, no, no, not, not drones. Like the Raimi shot um, uh, was the spider POV yeah, that we spider did. Spider cam. Uh, yeah. sp- sp- uh, uh, Arachnocam. Because Arachnocam. I remember <laughs> I, 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 I was saying that I wanted to do that shot like Sam Raimi did this shot in Evil Dead. And then Howard Berger said, oh, we got the guy that built uh, Sam his rig. Well, he's going to build you something. And they did. And, and, and he said, and if Sam had this, he would call it something like Arachnocam. So that's what <laughs> we had. When we got to that day, it was like, bring out the Arachnocam. And it was fantastic. I wonder what that is. It it works. Like By the great. way, I, I I have the splitting head. Oh, you do. Yeah. They they gave you the splitting. Yeah, head. yeah. Howard told me like I, I got something for you, and and he had the the splitting head, and now now it's in my closet, and my kids don't know what is that thing that's covered there that I said don't ever <laughs> don't look at that don't ever touch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Howard and and Greg are two yeah. of the great guys, the guys from KNB, Howard Berger and Greg, Greg Nicotero, just. Wonderful artists and wonderful humans. So, this is going to be in theaters? It is. September it is. 14th, so, yeah. It's a, so, it's a miracle. The chicken swarmed. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do opening night? We're still trying to figure it out. We might either... I We're don't... Latinos, Mick. It's very, all is very organized. You can see that there's always been a plan. <laughs> So, like, two weeks uh, from opening, we're like, so what are we going to do tonight? Yeah, because it's, it's opening. We've never had this problem where it's opening all over the city. And we're just like, we don't know what to do. Wow. We, we don't know where to go. So, so uh, I don't know if we're going to, like, break up. And, and, like, since it's an anthology, like, different anthologies yeah, have different think, screenings. Uh, like, we wanted, Amber of Zanzibar is in Sherman Oaks. Uh, we wanted you know, to do it. We wanted to do it together. But the last time we watched a, a movie together, there was an incident with a bucket of popcorn. popcorn and a chicken. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so Mike, Mike, Mike was yeah. like, "Let's do separate theaters." I yeah. don't think he wants me around again. <laughs> um, so he's like, "I can bring friends and do the Traveler Theater, and yeah. you can do the Hammer of Zanzibar Theater." And by the way, the Hammer of Zanzibar Theater is way more fun than the Traveler Theater. Probably. <laughs> I, I think I'll be all at buckets, city, all think, buckets of popcorn. I think I'll be at City Walk, and I think he'll be at the Regal. Uh, we're not, we're not sure. By the way, it's like we're saying all these. We're still not sure. Yeah. We're trying to and, figure and it and out. And I believe we'll be at the Alamo Draft house uh on sunday for a q a but it's not Excellent. confirmed you and, don't and, say and, stuff that it's well, not confirmed well, I'll, I'll do ones 
that are confirmed, okay? Uh, Friday, Friday uh, the 15th, I will be in Santa Ana at the Frida Theater. I'm going to be in oh, Santa Ana with you. Yeah, we'll, we'll be both doing a Q&A. That's right, you're joining me. Somehow I got suckered in on Saturday to drive to Fresno for the Galaxy Theater in Tulare, California, my favorite theater. Tulare. Uh, yeah. And uh, I will be doing a Q&A because he was smart and said no. Uh, uh, I, have, I have kids. <laughs> I, I, I have kids. I cannot... That's I, right. I mean, I do want to bring my kids to Fresno. <laughs> it's always been a dream yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i i love the fact that the sense of humor that you guys both possess are, is so well well reflected in the movie both Excellent. of you you've yes. got the funny ones in Dumb the shit. show <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have the funny episodes and they're really genuinely funny and find such humor in great places and unexpectedly so and Excellent. the movie's terrific and and i thank you for sharing your experiences here and wish you all the best of luck and everybody on the uh, september 15th go out and see yes please do Satanic please, please support us please do it's yeah film it's, if, if, if you know if, if who's going to support us if, if other latinos and other horror fans don't come out and do it we want to make more of this stuff and want more of this stuff to exist but obviously you know yeah, look, look at it this way the film's opening september 14th kicking his hispanic heritage month but there's no satanic heritage month Oh, there let's needs go to for be. it. Absolutely. Let's make it a tradition. <laughs> yeah. Let's also kick that one. Oh, Every so year it's Satanic Hispanic. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, totally. uh, Mike Mendez, Alejandro Bruges, thanks for joining us Thank on the Mike. slab. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.